0: you take one uh, on the back of the pew there and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll be reading verse 9, but we'll be looking at the context in chapter 11 and 12, and then we'll be moving around a little bit as well in the Old and New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask this morning that your strength and power would rest on us. We are weak, we do not understand, and we require your Holy Spirit to enliven our hearts and minds. Fill us with Jesus Christ this morning, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So the question for this morning is, is God's grace sufficient for you? And I don't mean in the sense of salvation. Our prayer this morning is that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you already have experienced the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ that salvation is yours as you trust in Christ, his life, his perfect life, that that is on your record now, that his death uh, paid the penalty for your sins, his resurrection secured all of that. So our prayer this morning is that you already know that God's grace is sufficient for you. But is God's grace sufficient for you today? As you leave this sanctuary, as you walk out to your car, as you go to work tomorrow, as you do various things, is God's grace sufficient for you? It's about midway through the year now, so it's a great time to look back and check whether or not those New Year's resolutions are, have, have been completed. Anyone a resolution maker? Anyone a New Year's resolution keeper? We're far into it now, and so probably many of those have have been uh, tossed To the wayside. But it's a time at New Year's to look back and look at what's going on, and it's time to look forward. And so we're halfway. So, how has the last six months of your life been? What do you look to in the future, anticipate, look forward to in the future? A book I read a little while back that I uh, recommend to you is a book by Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane called How People Change. This first section is borrowed heavily from there, but he asked, or he he said this in one of his sections in his book, Do you expect an ordered, predictable calm where your plans are unobstructed? Do you assume that people will agree with you and affirm your choices? Do you think you will be able to avoid sickness, accident, and injury? Do you believe you can plan your way out of stress and avoid situations where you feel overwhelmed? Is that your thought process at all on a day-to-day basis, he goes on, and he says, Our experiences become more difficult when we carry unbiblical and therefore unrealistic expectations into them. We are shocked and frustrated when we find ourselves in stressful situations. In very subtle ways, we question God's goodness and wonder what has gone wrong with our faith. We think that God has changed the rules on us. Does this define your life or a period of your life where you have been shocked? and frustrated with a stressful situation. We know that they're going to come. We've experienced enough in the past, so we ought to anticipate that something this week is going to go go wrong. And yet, we're still surprised, aren't we? We're still shocked when it happens to us, when it happens to someone that is close to us. And often we are very frustrated when our plans don't go right, when someone doesn't agree with us. When something that we've laid out for months in advance begins to crumble, we're frustrated and we're surprised. So, difficulties surprise us. It shouldn't, based on any amount of time that we've lived, but also based on what we see in Scripture. Scripture reminds us over and over that life is full of difficulties. Life is full of pain. Romans 8, starting at verse 20, says this, "...for the creation was subjected to frustration." not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul uses three basic phrases to describe earthly life between the fall And Christ's second coming, what life looks like and why it is the way it is. He first says that uh, creation was subjected to frustration. We feel this one deeply, don't we? This one hits us at our core, our emotions. We are frustrated. We're frustrated with this world, with life, with our children, with our work, with things that are not going our way. My father and I had, a great, had great opportunities over the years to work together to build things. And if you've ever built something, you know that it can be a joy, and it can be frustrating. You know that uh, when you open the directions, and, or you can't find the directions, you know when you open it, and it's in six different languages, but yours seems the least clear. Because it doesn't make sense how bolt A is supposed to fit into hold T, and which is bolt B, and which is bolt T. We're frustrated because it's not easy years back, we built a playground set for our kids. Um, And of course, the one piece that was missing was the one uh, one piece that you needed for 90% of the tightening of screws, the 90% of putting it together. And so this, of course, happened on uh, the day before Christmas. And so we went around and could not find it anywhere. It was frustrating. We get frustrated uh, with things like a bolt that won't fit or even simple things like a, a a peanut butter jar that won't open, or when traffic won't let us get to work on time, or, or when school doesn't go the way we had hoped, or on grander scale when hurricanes devastate entire communities, and we see oftentimes the futility and frustration of this world around us that Paul mentions here. Paul also refers to this world that is in the bondage to decay. We see decay around us. One writer said it Wisely this way, we are born dying. The moment that we are born, our cells begin to decay, and we are on the way to the grave. If you've ever been to the beach and built a sandcastle and, and longed to see it the next day, you know that the night's tides have brought destruction and decay, and it's been destroyed. Our homes are decaying. Our yards are decaying from bo- broken pipes to the roof that is over us. Our children's bedrooms certainly show decay. Everything moves from order to disorder. We see that decay has been inflicted on this world. That when sin came in in the garden, it also brought, back, uh, brought with it uh, horrible consequences for the creation around us. And we live through it. We live with it every day. Paul goes on and talks about Uh, creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Certainly there is no woman here today who has labored in childbirth that doesn't understand this analogy, and perhaps there are a few men who have gained a taste of that suffering as you've had your hand wrenched by your wife as she endures those pains of childbirth. But we experience all three of these. Paul reminds us that that there is pain and we shouldn't be shocked when it comes our way. Nothing functions as it was originally intended. In nature, our physical bodies, our relationships, the mechanical world, human culture, work that we do, it is all tainted by sin and therefore decaying and subject to the pains of childbirth, in essence. So we are left with the overriding certainty that life is difficult. I don't have to tell you that. You know it is. But the question is, how do we respond? How do we deal with that difficulty? I want to look back into the Old Testament and certainly see an example of how not to respond, but perhaps an accurate picture of how often we do respond. As we look back into the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11, and we see the children of Israel who have been freed from captivity by their loving God as they were in captivity for so long in, by, in the nation of Egypt. And now they've been freed and they're wandering in the desert. And we hear their response to their loving and gracious God's provision. We certainly don't just complain, do we, about the big things in life. We complain about the small things, about the day-to-day things. Things that I've already mentioned. And so, here with the nation of Israel, they're not complaining about the big things. They're complaining about the small things, in essence. Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse 6. The rabble with them began to crave another food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers and melons and leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. If you remember your Old Testament, then you remember that God provided daily what they would need. Their, their daily bread, their daily sustenance. This manna would rain down from heaven and lie on the ground. And all they had to do each day was go and collect enough for their family and for that day. And then it would disappear. And then God would, would shower them again with his blessing, with his provision. And each day they would do this. Day before the Sabbath, they would gather twice as much. And so God provides. He shows them care and concern in the smallest of things. So, what began the trouble? What what began the, the, the rabble murmuring against God? Was it the death of their children? Was it some major disease that struck? Was it some new obstacle that they had to go around that would add months or even years to their travel? It wasn't anything grand. It wasn't anything great. The trouble that began because, not with the lack of food, not with the volume, but with the variety. They got tired of manna. They got tired of the same thing. Maybe you've heard your kids complain. Are we having that again? And so we fall into the same traps. Think for a moment of how the Lord was providing for the children of Israel every single day in abundance They didn't have to go out and plant or labor or water or really even harvest. All they had to do was scoop it from the ground and go and eat. And yet it wasn't enough for them. Millions of people, men, women, and children, were provided daily by the Lord for what they needed. And they complained because they wanted something different. What are some small things that we complain about You know your own heart. You know the ride over here. You know what to anticipate on the ride home. What will our hearts complain about today? It's too cold. It's too hot. I don't like that color. They're out of my size. Meatloaf again? Why can't we have pizza tonight? I never get what I want. That's mine. You can't have it. Sorry, I've been in a hotel room with six of us uh, for an evening, and so this all comes naturally there. Unfortunately, most of those were my comments. Um, and we complain. We complain over and over again over the simple things. We complain, and we think we're not really complaining against God, but we are. We're complaining against a sovereign God who has lovingly provided for us. Numbers 11 continues. It says, "'The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, "'Why have you brought this trouble on your servant?' They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. You were, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. If you know the story, they did eat it and ate and ate, and He rained down upon them meat day after day. And yet, isn't it amazing that they would cry out to their God, saying, We were better off in Egypt. We were better off where we were, God, forgetting all the the torment and the pain that they endured as slaves in Egypt. And what brought this out? A monotony of menu. Something so simple. Think about what they were saying. They were saying, for a little bit of comfort, for a little bit of variety in what we eat, we would rather return to Egypt. They would rather have comforts in bondage under an oppressive arm of a slave master than experience the, the, the freedom of an easy yoke of their Lord. They would rather exchange a benevolent master and father who loves them and seeks to deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey for one who is harsh and cruel and seeks only to use them for his own selfish pleasures. And we are in the same boat. We so often are willing to exchange God's goodness and grace for the temporary pleasures of sin. Does it not remind us of others in Scripture, Jacob and Esau? Esau, who very willingly and quickly sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, cheapening what he would one day have to satisfy his immediate hunger. And of course, if you hear uh, this truly, then you hear yourself in this. I hear myself as well. That between Satan and his power of persuasion and in my own sinful heart, I'm overwhelmed being convinced that the temporal and momentary pleasures of this world are better than what God has for me. We question God's goodness and His faithfulness and His love and His wisdom. They went on in chapter 14 and said, If only we had died in Egypt, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wouldn't it be better for us to be dead than to endure this manna? How crazy is this? To think that they would say we would rather be dead than to again experience God's daily provision and love towards us. But it wasn't enough for them. And not only did they cry out in anger that way, but they also said we need to choose a leader. So they weren't responding against Moses per se. They were really saying to God, we want someone else in charge of our lives. We would even rather have Pharaoh in charge of our lives than what you're giving to us. Another writer said this. He said, This passage makes one thing clear. The anger and worry and distress and frustration uh, that is revealed in the middle of trial says more about us than it does about the trial. The Bible confronts the self-righteousness and and spiritual blindness that makes us think that our greatest problem is outside of us when it's really inside of us. Deuteronomy wraps this section up and says, that God has a purpose for these trials. Deuteronomy 8.2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what, your, what was in your heart. God had a purpose through all of these things to humble them, to make them reliant upon him and to test them that he would know where their hearts were. So we've been assured in Scripture that we will have trials, we will have difficulties, we will have uh, troubles, and we've seen an example of how some in Scripture have responded, and perhaps we've seen our own hearts this morning, that we grumble and complain and respond in the same way that the Israelites did. But now we see gloriously in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, one who points us back to Christ, who gives us that example of how we are to respond, and then reminds us of the power of that enables us to respond that way. So I ask it again this morning, is God's grace sufficient for you? Is it enough? Whether the problems are mighty or small, whether they're in the future or whether you walked in this morning with them, is God's grace sufficient for you today? St. Corinthians 12, 9 says wonderfully, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is, is made perfect in weakness. Paul has just gotten done in chapter eleven, in the first part of chapter twelve, of giving us the context of an amazing statement like this. He's given us a, a, a litany of all the sufferings that he's gone through. He's given us a litany of all of the uh, um, the points of his resume, things that he could boast about. He's also reminded us that he's been given a special privilege, that he's been allowed to see into the throne room of heaven. And all of these, he comes back in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty, 30, and he says, if I must boast, if I must continue to boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. He keeps coming back to, even though all these things are true, all these things he could boast about, he says, I'm not going to boast about those. I'm going to boast about the things that point to Jesus Christ. So again, Paul was given this amazing privilege of seeing into the throne room of heaven. Why would God allow this? Why would Paul give this vision that he outlines in the previous chapter or so? And I wonder if it's to encourage him through the hardships and trials that he's had to endure that he will endure. Part of the grace that Paul refers to in verse 9, the grace extended to him, might have been God allowing him to see him in his throne room that he might be able to push forward and persevere and endure the things that had come and that were to come, to encourage him. So again, it brings the question of what grace has God given you today to allow you to persevere, to allow you to move through maybe something that you don't even know about yet, something that's coming. Maybe he's surrounded you with a wonderful family, given you excellent friends and a church body that is there to support you, that you've needed in the past, that you need today, and that you will certainly need in the future. More than likely, God's not given you a a vision into the throne room of heaven itself. But what has he given you that you might be strengthened through your trials, large and small? And I encourage you to go back and thank him for those, for the family, for the friends, for the church. But two things particularly come to mind that are common to all of us who know Jesus Christ First is what we're doing this morning. We have the witness and testimony of Holy Scripture itself. That God points us back to the Old Testament and says, See how faithful I was to your ancestors, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. See how faithful I was to them. Those promises are true for you as well. These stories that we read are not just stories. They're meant to encourage us and to propel us forward into hope through grace. The second thing that we see certainly and I pray that you've experienced, is the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. That the cross is what we look back to, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, His love for us, a loving Father reconciling us, bringing us back into fellowship. That that is what we look to every day when we struggle, when we suffer. He gives us that picture back to the cross and says this same grace that was offered to you through Jesus on the cross is the same grace that I will weave into your life. I will sustain you with. So go back to the cross. Go back to Christ. Go back to His finished work. The God who said, I love you enough to send my only Son is a God who also says, I will sustain you by that same Son. 2 Corinthians 12, looking at verse 6 there, Paul says that there is no room for boasting. Uh, He doesn't want to call attention to himself. And he certainly has every reason boasting, religiously. But he says, don't look at that. Look only at the Lord. What would our lives look like like if if all boasting about ourselves was removed and we boast only about Christ? How attractive might we be to other people? How attracted might they be to the gospel of Christ? Because they don't see us, they see Jesus and are therefore drawn to that. The second part of verse 7 there says, therefore, so that I might not be come too exalted, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me so that I might not be too elated. Much debate on what this thorn was, whether it was depression, whether it was poor eyesight, some physical ailments, epilepsy, enemies from around and about him, a demonic visitation. We don't know what it was, but it was given by the Lord to humble him, to, to force him to continuously go back to his God. we also reminded here that Paul cries out multiple times, Lord, will you please take this away from me? Take this away from me. Three times he cries out, and God each time says, no, I will not. What thorn might the Lord have brought into your life or allowed in your life to continue to cause you to trust him? We don't always know the reasons for the di- difficulties that we face, whether it's through illness or financial troubles or a rebellious child and all the smaller difficulties that we have. But how might the Lord be using these circumstances to draw you back to Him? I think we need to go- continuously go back to prayer and go back to the Word and say, Lord, show me. Show me how you're, us- you're using this in my life. But if the Lord does not... He simply tells us, I will use it. He promises that. And with Paul, he says, I won't remove it. And we need to go back to the Lord and say, at time, in the right time, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for what you brought into my life because it it drew me closer to you. It caused me to not trust myself, but to trust you more. Paul's an amazing character. He's an amazing figure. And we certainly do look to him as one uh, to lead us in how to respond to troubles. But but Christ was in his life. Christ was leading him. He struggled and he suffered. And the Lord used these things to draw Paul closer and closer to him. So we're left with the overriding certainty that this life is difficult. When you leave here, it may get harder, but it will be difficult. How are we dealing with those difficulties? Will we respond these coming months, as the children of Israel did, with with griping and complaining? Or will we respond in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul responded, humbled, overwhelmed, and returning to him, running constantly back to him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we long to be like Paul, and yet so often we are more like the Israelites. Through Jesus Christ, give us the ability to, whether we see the reason or not, whether we understand it, whether it makes sense, let us return to you in humility and say, Lord Jesus, teach me, walk with me, sustain me, give me my daily bread, and use me in the lives of others. We pray in Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen.